Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm looking out the window of my studio in Fort Collins, and it's a little dreary out there, and it's supposed to get cold. Um, you know, there's going to be good and bad to this. Obviously, none of us like to go outside when it's below zero, and we might hit that this next few days. But it's going to change uh, some opportunities. Uh, and we're going to talk to Brad Peterson in a minute. We're going to talk about waterfall opportunities and ice fishing. And I think Brad will agree, me, agree with me that we may have an extended ice fishing season on the front range this year. Uh, a lot of times the ice comes and goes with just a few weeks. We have to get out, but... We made good ice. I had some snow on it, but the temperatures are cold enough to overcome that insulation effect. So we'll also talk to Nate Zielinski about that later on in the show. We're going to talk some archery later in the show. We're going to talk about the boat show. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to cover. It's There's a lot going on, and uh, there's still a lot to do outdoors. You know, there's snowshoeing, there's ice fishing contests everywhere. So we're going to help you take advantage of all that. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, a regular on the show, he started his fishing career working with folks at In Fisherman and uh, Camp Fish, which is their educational uh, arm. He was also, uh, he used to run the the waterfall calling contests up here and he has a guide service he's accomplished angler and waterfall hunter brad peterson good morning brad good morning terry it's uh i want to talk to you about waterfall season but let's start with uh with ice fishing or fishing in general since i'm on that do you agree that we're probably looking at a little bit of an extended front range ice fishing season yeah, based on the, you know, the 10-day forecast I'm seeing right now, um, you know, a lot of years, kind of this, right around Valentine's Day, our ice starts getting a little iffy, and some years we've even had open water by then. But I, I think this year, you know, kind of looking out, we're probably looking, you know, late February and possibly even into March that we're going to have ice in certain locations along the front range and as we all know with colorado weather that can change real quick you know they could tomorrow all of a sudden five days out they could change the forecast from 20 degree high to 60 degree high yeah you know it's the first time in four decades we haven't had a 60 degree day on the front range in january i mean that's well go ahead yeah that's a good sign that's a good sign for the ice anglers well, you know, another thing that I think when the ice gets like this, and I'm guilty of this myself, early on in the year, I'm headed up to the high country, and there's going to be good ice fishing opportunities through probably into April, at least through the end of March, if not well into April with the weather we've had up there. Uh, we've got some slush now, but that should firm up. Um, but I, I get more hesitant to take that hour, two-hour drive up in the mountains and if there's ice fishing right in my backyard, I'm going to get a few more trips in, even though I'm starting to get my tackle ready. I'm starting to think about open water. But when I think how far out it is, I, I managed to squeeze in a few more trips. And I think it keeps up that enthusiasm and mindset about ice fishing. So what are you hearing out there? What are some of the local bites? Anything going on? 
Yeah, you know, the conditions are pretty good. Most of the lakes around here, uh, the north front range, are kind of in that 7 to 9-inch range. Um, you get out further east, and they're pushing a little better. I know Sterling was reporting 10 to 12 inches uh, earlier this week. So the conditions are still pretty good. What's happening is some of the lakes that have been stocked with trout early, those trout have had a lot of pressure, and a lot of them have been caught out. So that real easy trout bite that we get that first you know month of ice fishing season has become a little bit more challenging. And people can still go out there and get trout. You just have to be a little bit more uh, finesse with your techniques and maybe target more of the prime time, that early morning period till 10 a.m. And then from about 2 in the afternoon on, the bite just doesn't last all day long. And then the panfish bite's still doing good. And, um, you know, as far as a couple of the lakes, I'm getting good reports on still on trout and some white bass out at Lawn Hagler. Um, St. Brain, we talk about it a lot, but it's because it's a it's a great opportunity for diversity. Uh, they're catching trout in Sandpiper and Coot and panfish and some walleye up in uh, Coot and then over on uh, Blue Heron there. And then if you're wanting some walleye and want to go a little further north, uh, Douglas is, is popping out some walleye and sauger up there. Yeah, Douglas is an overlooked resource. I got I want to bring up Lon Hagler. You know, Lon Hagler and I have had a tumulus relationship over the years. I either go there, and I kind of go there with a plan, and I know where the fish are, and I find them, or I ended up end up drilling fifty holes, and sometimes I find them, and sometimes I don't. The water level is down at Lon Hagler. You got any tips for fishing Lon Hagler? Any starting points? You know, where I normally like to start with the water level the way it is, is kind of towards the dam, and I target that area right where the rocks kind of meet the, the basin. And if the lake's real low, sometimes that that is still too shallow. But usually if that's at least, say, six, seven feet deep, all the way up to about 18 to 20 feet deep, uh, that area works just like a highway and the fish seem to travel along and you'll catch, you know, bluegill and perch and there's a few crappie in there and white bass and largemouth and trout all right there along that little, you know, kind of transition. So if someone's going to go out there for the first time, that's where I would kind of look. And then the other spot would be, you know, a lot of people come in on the north, the boat ramp parking lot. But if you go in on the, the south side over there, there's kind of a flat between that parking lot and the dam. And if you get out towards the edge of it where it starts to drop off, that's another real good area that gets a lot of activity. Well, and one place that I fish early, but then it really falls off, is that north parking lot area. If you go east from there, it stays fairly deep, really close to shore. And you can get almost up in shore and have six, eight feet of water. Early on, I've had good luck with trout right in there, but it tends to it tends to burn out real quick, and those fish move out of there after a few weeks. It's I, I don't th- I don't think it's as good as it was early in the year anymore there. But that's that's the kind of tips you know. Sometimes whether you're in the right place or not, talk to somebody about these smaller lakes because you're not going to hear as many reports, and a lot of guys will try to keep it secret too. But a lot of these smaller lakes, Lon Hagler, 
Douglas, um, can produce all year long. And a lot of them, as you mentioned, have really great panfish. Should people change their approach if they're hoping for the panfish and use different presentations than they do when they're just fishing for trout? Um, personally, I always like to fish trout, even my trout with small stuff. But a lot of people like using kind of the, the crappie tube jigs, I'm going to call them. You know, those one-inch to inch-and-a-half tube jigs ice fishing for trout or used live minnows. And when you start looking for bluegills, you know, they're a much, they key on much smaller stuff. You know, their mouth is only about the size of a Cheerio. So I really downsize my jigs to one sixteenth, probably the biggest I'm going to use. One thirty second, one sixty fourth are probably a lot more common. And then I'm just going to tip it with either a waxworm, a spike, or or a little one of the new artificials that are out there. And um, keep it small and don't do a lot of really big action. It's more of a little bouncing action. Make it look like a, a little insect that's, that's fluttering in the water there. And if you're having problem getting those real small jigs down, then what I would do is go up about 18 inches or so and put a split shot up there to help get your line down to the depth you want. Um, the way I kind of compensate with that is I downsize my line. And a lot of times I'm just using two to three pound line and often fluorocarbon, which is heavier than water. So it actually gives some weight and helps that, that little jig get down there a little quicker. Well, I think that well, a great point you made in the debates you mentioned too, is a lot of people are going to fish trout with a, with a power bait or even a power egg or something like that. And those, those work really well for stock trout, but they're not that great for panfish because they're not meant to attract them. And by using small jigs with uh, some bait or, or a good soft plastic, you open yourself up. The trout will readily hit those, and yet you still might catch more bluegills, crappies, or even white bass, or even, even other warm water species. Well, we still have time. Let's switch gears. Um, waterfall season. Ducks are closing on Tuesday. Should people make sure they get out ahead of time? And what's going on otherwise? I tell you what, if you've got a, a spot to hit the river, the South Platte River for ducks right now, um, they really have pushed onto the South Platte. Um, the water levels coming out of Denver with the cold temperature, there's not as much melting and the water has dropped. So the current has dropped and those birds are really starting to use the Platte all up and down it. So get out there for that. And the cold temperatures the next couple of days, they're going to put slush on some of those smaller creeks and uh, stuff like that, like the St. Vrain and the Big Thompson. And so that's going to push those birds that have been sitting on there to the Platte River. So I think the last few days are going to be phenomenal up here in the Northeast. And then with geese, um, we're starting to see a few more geese show up with the, the snow and cold temperatures. A lot of them kind of pushed a little down south to, Denver and a little further where there isn't as much sa- uh, snow on the ground, but they've started coming back north. So we're starting to see good numbers. And even though it's not like the big numbers we had in December and early January, the birds that are here have been really receptive to decoy and calling. So you don't need to see a lot of birds when the birds will work real well for you. Now on the geese, um, they're good. Uh, I think the goose season's open until like the, the 12th of February, so you got a couple weeks there yet. 
are you switching now? The ducks are on the river, but are the geese more in the fields now, or are they still using the water too? Um, I'm seeing the geese using the river. The problem is right now they still are coming in pretty late, about 6.30 to 7 o'clock at night. So the afternoon flight's not that good. You have a chance at getting some in the morning where they're roosting, and then there are some birds kind of coming in at that so 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock time frame. So don't leave the river too early if you're thinking about goose hunting there. But the majority of guys are getting out on the fields. And the nice thing about right now, with the limited number, the, the smaller number of birds around, you don't need the big giant spreads like you were needing early to fool those birds. You know, you can get by on, I mean, I know a lot of guys are using just two to five dozen decoys because a lot of the groups of birds are, you know, anywhere from one to six birds. So you don't need these huge spreads to convince them to come in. So what about the snow geese? Um, are we seeing numbers of snow geese yet? We saw some early this year. The snow geese numbers seem to be showing up. Has that continued? And, and by the way, that season will remain open for a long time. Yeah, the the snow geese kind of got pushed out with the cold weather. There's still some of them hanging around from, say, the brush power plant further east. But a lot of the lakes out there froze up. So, you know, jumbo and all those that oftentimes hold hold some of those snow geese have frozen up. If I was going to be targeting snow geese, I'd be targeting Pruitt. Pruitt's getting water right now, so part of it is always staying open as they're filling the lake. Kind of that Fort Morgan to Pruitt area still has some snow geese. But the snow geese really follow that snow line on the ground. So as soon as we start seeing that snow melt and some open ground and a little bit of open water on those lakes, those snow geese are going to be on us real quick. So if you want to go chase snow geese, you kind of have to just be prepared because the weather can change quick and those birds can go from very few to an absolute pile of them just in a matter of a couple of days. All right. We're going to have to wrap things up, but Brad, tell people how they get a hold of you and you have a new service available, a new fishing service. Tell us about that real quick. Yeah, um, I have started a new uh, kind of fishing newsletter for updated information on fishing in northern Colorado. It's going to talk about the bites, the water conditions, a little bit about the the current state of the various fisheries. So if you're interested in that, you go to uh, nocofishingnews.substack.com, or you can just reach out to me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors, and I'll do a post there that will have a link on it as well. So just trying to get some current updated information out to the anglers in the northern Colorado area. All right, my friend, we're out of time, but we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Brad Peterson. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about, believe it or not, boating safety on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Jack's has locations up and down the front range. Uh, if you're an outdoor enthusiast and you haven't been to a Jack's store, do yourself a favor, just stop in and check one out. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Devin Walsh. Good morning, Devin. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing well. I, you know, I kind of want to see some sunshine. I'm, I'm conflicted. <laughs> 
because I love open water, I love warm weather, but I love ice fishing, and this cold cold weather is going to keep the ice on the front range for a while. We were just talking about it, but I still mm-hmm. like sitting out on my patio with an adult beverage and something on the grill, so I'm a little conflicted, but, well, but it's I'm a good time to boat. go. It's a good time to go indoors. We're going to talk about that, the boat show, in just a minute. But let's talk about a little more of a sobering stat first, then we'll get into some other things. And that's the Mm -hmm. fact that last year was a record number of uh, water deaths, which is very unfortunate. That's exactly right. So in 2022 alone for water-related deaths, um, we do have 41. Um, However, I do think it's important to make that distinction that 15 were just from boating. So 41 overall, but 15 um, were from boating. And that's a, that's a pretty high number still. It's not our highest, but it, it is pretty high. It really is. And the, fortu- the fortunate, not the fortunate thing these people died, but the fortunate thing about this trend is it can be reversed by just uh, some common sense safety practices, can't it? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, number one is, is just wearing a life jacket and, um, taking the steps to be properly educated before you head out on the water, that will totally, totally decrease the risk of, of the fatality there. Um, you know, I was just going to say, and getting educated was real, would be really easy this weekend because you guys are down at the boat show, right? That's absolutely right. I was just there last night, and there's obviously lots of really, really cool boats to check out, some really great new models um, that I wish I could afford <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, we also have our safety booth set up, too. So if anyone wants to come down and chat with some officers, um, they absolutely can. This is a great time to get in any of those questions and um, mitigation steps as well. <laughs> now, you have your boating safety people there, and they can talk to you about the regulations. They can talk to you about the gear you need. Um, they can talk to you about all the different facets of boating safety um, what else do you have down at the show? I mean, you have more than that, though. What else do you have at the boat show? Um, let's see. So I know we ha- we do have, like, T-shirts for kids, too. So if you are planning on bringing some kiddos, um, they can color a T-shirt, and then we'll make it right there on the spot, which they can take home. Obviously, it's going to be talking about some life jacket, uh, promoting life jacket wearing. <laughs> um, and then there's also a boat simulator, too, so that way you can go ahead and you can check that out and try um, try your hand at it. Maybe you're you're new to boating and you want to see what it's like, and we do have a really good model there um, to just kind of give you the feel of what it's like to steer and all that good stuff as well. <laughs> and you might even see our patrol boat if you are there. <laughs> okay. You know, speaking of the rangers and of the the people that are there, you honored a bunch of the people at Pueblo this year for their actions in boating safety, I believe. Yes, that is absolutely right. So um, at one of the recent commission meetings, um, seven of our rangers received a standing ovation um, for all their efforts this year. Um, Pueblo in particular had a pretty rough year, um, but, you know, the, the rangers there were very resilient and they every day they showed up and they were ready, ready to save lives. And so, I mean, it was totally, totally awesome to be able to see them um, get some of that recognition. Yeah, these guys are out there and the last thing they want to do is have to recover somebody out of water they're they're hoping Mm -hmm. that nothing happens in the first place and Mm -hmm. they're ready to respond and put themselves on the line if something does it's amazing how these guys perform and you know speaking of Pueblo we talked about ice 
Um, there might be some down there now. It's been a little cold, but as long as the boat ran- landing doesn't ice up, you can actually launch a boat at Pueblo all year long. I've actually fished mm-hmm. there in January. So so a lot of these boating safety things start now. Let's talk a little bit about that. You know, early in the year and even now, the water's ice cold. Uh, you don't survive very long in that water. A life jacket is really important now, isn't it? That's exactly right. That's like the number one thing that we try to emphasize at all times. You know, in Colorado law, like um, there is an age requirement for where you have to wear it. Um, but I mean, we suggest like even if you're older than 13, like, you know, we, we say just go ahead and wear it. Just keep it on because that's definitely the first the first step there. <laughs> well, and if you end up in the water and I, I Chad Lachance, who will be on later, can attest to this. Um, he's an experienced outdoorsman, a boater. I'm experienced it can happen so quickly, and you get that initial gasp when you hit the water now from the shock, and you may recover soon enough to have a few minutes of activity, but hypothermia is going to set in very quickly in cold water, and if you think you can swim back to your boat, it's going to probably drift away from you, and you're going to, even if you can get back, you're going to have trouble getting in. Uh, it's, Colorado has cold water year-round. One of the things I want to talk about, though, and you are really adamant about that, is that safety starts at the ramp. You used to work at Chatfield Reservoir, and you said a lot of incidents happen right at the boat ramp. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think that's kind of the hot spot for um, for things to go wrong. You know, I think people have it in their minds that maybe the open water is the danger, the most dangerous part. And while it can be certainly dangerous, I think. Um, I mean, think about it. There's people going every which way. You know, there's new boaters, there's old, you know, veterans that are that have done this for years that know exactly what they're doing, and so they're used to a certain flow. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that can that can certainly go wrong, like maybe hooking up your boat wrong to the trailer or something like that. Um, just like all these different little mechanical issues that I, I don't think people associate with boating if if they're new to it. You know, um, I mean, we've even said like. It, it can be like one of the craziest parts of the park to watch um, just because of all the activity. Well, I, I shared a story with you about that uh, earlier in the week. We won't tell it online, but <laughs> but you're right. It, it does get quite, it, as long as no one gets hurt, it can get quite amusing at the boat ramp. But, you know, we have, I told you a, a, a saying we have for boat, boat owners and it's not their fault, but, um, People are running out, and this week they're at the boat show. They're going to be buying new boats. And unfortunately, dealers don't spend a lot of time training. Um, My wife used to do a training class for women called Women Making Waves, and she'd teach women how to back a boat trailer down the ramp and how to unhook and launch a boat or drive a boat onto the trailer because that becomes a key problem at the ramp that one person can't do both and they have to tie up and get a vehicle and it ties up the ramp, especially in weather conditions and things like that. But we always used to say the people as they were leaving the boat dealer, we called them key captains because they didn't get any training as they were pulling their boat out of the dealership. The dealer would hand them their key and say, here's your key captain. And so, and so take your time to understand and learn to operate your boat. And you know, another thing, when you're out boating and there's somebody in the boat with you, make sure they can operate it. If you'd ever take ill or something would happen to you, they need to know how to operate that boat. We're running out of time here. Devin, any last comments? Um, yeah, just one more. I would say, you know, even though the boat ramps aren't open just yet for most of the, most of the state, I would say you can get a head start on practicing all that stuff now. Like, 
teaching, like you said, like if you're going to have another person going out with you, um, teaching your crew now just kind of the basics on how to operate um, and just practicing with the trailer before you hit the, the water this summer, I think that will be just a great um, a great first step. <laughs> All right, Devin. Thank you so much. Hopefully people get down to the boat show. I know Chad Lachance is going to talk more about it later. And thank you for joining us. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You bet. Devin Walsh from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Easy for me to say. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I want to share a couple things before we get to our new guest, we, uh, next guest. We had a texter uh, share a story while we were going over boating safety in the last segment talking about being out on Lawn Hagler and how the boat was tied up. His wife was in it. The boat got away, and he swam after it went under. Fortunately, she she was able to throw him a rope, and but it almost turned into a very tragic situation. It really brought home everything we were talking about in that last segment. I appreciate that texter sharing the story. Um, the goal of this show is to get you outdoors, to let you know we, we, we'll talk about issues if they come up, but mostly we try to give you opportunities to go enjoy things, but we want you to do them safely. So we sometimes, we'll sometimes uh, get a little harping on the safety issues, but there's a reason because if, as long as I've been in the outdoors and as experienced as I am, trust me, a, a bad situation can happen in just a matter of seconds. But thanks to that texture for sharing that story. And somebody asked about fishing at ice fishing at Aurora Reservoir. I will talk about that more either later in the hour or the beginning of the next hour. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Bridget O'Rourke. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning, Terry. How are you this fine Colorado morning that's going to get a little cool? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm so glad that you shared that juicy story because I wanted to know from your last segment. So I just love learning from other people and through their lessons learned. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'm not good at that. I have to screw up, and then I sometimes learn. <laughs> but I'm good at sharing it when I do screw up, you know. No, I but you know, that's important. It, yeah, well, you know, in, in all honesty, boating safety, we put people out on high-powered boats with no brakes, and very little experience where people decades ago started out with small boats. They learned to maneuver and they grew and, and got training. And, uh, you know, it, we want people to be out there having fun, but it can get away from you in a hurry. And it happens so quickly. So I really appreciate the texture sharing that story, too, because it, it brings it home. But you want to talk about some other things. We've got a new program that kicked off. Uh, we've been talking about it quite a bit over the last year, and that's the Keep Colorado Wild Pass. And first of all, tell us what's going on with that right now. What's, what is it and what's the status of it? Then we want to talk about a little bit of the purpose of that funding. Sure. So something that's new to all of our residents is that now we can get a $29 Keep Colorado Wild Pass with our vehicle registration through the DMV. So this pass is really wonderful because it's a great way that you can connect with the outdoors and visit all of our state parks for just $29. But it's also more than just a park pass because it's a wonderful way to give money to our local search and rescue teams and our avalanche safety program. And, and because of that, um, in, in the past, funding was different. Parks had their own, the park passes 
provided so much income. Now, I don't know if any of that went to avalanche safety or search and rescue, but this program is targeted not only to enhance parks revenue, to make it a better experience, to hire people, to change amenities, to upgrade, but hopefully that we'll get more funding to projects like that. Is that right? Exactly. So it's definitely more funding. And so how the money will be used is for staffing, gear, and also public education and outreach. So this is new because, so staffing for one reason, we need more outdoor first responders. And with avalanche safety, if we have more people, then that's more opportunities for us to collect more data in the field. And we all know how expensive outdoor gear can be. And so we want to make sure that we are setting up our search and rescue teams for success and that our state has the most modern avalanche IT monitoring systems that are available. And just public outreach in general. Oh, go ahead, Terry. No, go ahead, please. Just public outreach in general with avalanche information Snowpacks can change by the hour. So we really do want to make sure that our outdoor communities are getting the most important information that they can get and that it's frequent and ongoing. Oh, I, without question. And safety, you know, what I was going to make to comment, you said avalanches. People don't realize, you know, we've been talking ice fishing quite a bit the last few weeks and how how people have a sense that it's dangerous and we have a saying that there's no such thing as safe ice, but if you use common sense, ice fishing is one of the safest winter activities. And we kind of compare that by saying, you know, we haven't had a fatality ice fishing, I don't think, for, for the longest time. And if they do, there are very few uh, people fall through once in a while. But several, I think the average is five or six people every year die in avalanches. And we're already ahead of that pace this season, I think. Yeah, we've had some tough years, and it is just so important that people win. Winter recreation is so fun. It is so fun to be out in the snow, and it's just important to know that avalanches exist in our state, and it's something to be mindful of. And, again, it's also important to pay it forward to the outdoor first responders who help people in a time of need as well. So if I want to take advantage of the past, and get that money in the right places and make the outdoors a better place, how do I do that? Just just when I register my car? Exactly. So when you go to register your car, and I actually got my pass this month, so I went to register my car online to the DMV. There's an option that says, would you like to keep Colorado Wild Pass? There's also a link there that directs people to our website in case they want to get some extra information. And you have the option to opt in or opt out. But your $29... It might not seem like a lot, but it's going to, we accomplish more together than we do alone. And so that $29 that you're giving is really going to help our wildlife programs, outdoor safety programs, and like I talked about, help our local search and rescue teams. And just for people whose car renewals don't come until maybe May or June or something, uh, if your annual pass runs out that you have now, you buy one every year prior to that. You can buy one, and then there's a, uh, a compensation process to get back the difference when you do get your other pass. Is that right? Exactly. On our website, we do have a refund policy and some guidelines and directions on how you would get a prorated refund for your valid annual state park pass. So the okay. goal one, of this pass, yeah. 
No, keep going. I'm sorry. I've been interrupting you. I've been excited to ask you about something. So I think it's because we have such a good rapport and we get excited talking about the outdoors that we just can't help ourselves. Well, before we run out of time, I wanted that you had an experience out on the ice doing tell people about it. I did. It was really cool. I was up at Steamboat Lake State Park. And I was actually supposed to meet up with some anglers and they bailed on me the morning of because they didn't want me to take pictures of their spot. And I had never had that happen before, but I get it. I understand. So I was kind of walking around the ice with some friends and we saw an angler and he was manually going through the ice, carving holes, just sitting on a bucket, enjoying the outdoors. And we went up to him. His name was Josh. And he just was explaining everything that he was doing with his ice fishing setup. And he was really patient with us. And he ended up catching a 21-inch rainbow trout. And we all just were so happy. It was such a beautiful day. It was such a wonderful experience. And again, this goes back to just sharing is caring and sharing life lessons and talking about your outdoor experiences. It's a great way to just radiate that positive energy and build new memories with people outside. Well, and Steamboat Lake is a great ice fishing lake. It's a bit of a drive, and but it does produce some great fish. And, and he's a great example of the fact he had a hand auger, not a power auger. And I fish with a hand auger quite a bit myself. Um, he had some basic setups. He had some probably decent ice fishing rods, but he didn't have a lot of equipment, yet he was able to be quite successful and catch a large fish. Shows people, dip your toe in the ice fishing world. You don't need to spend a lot of money to do it. Stop by your local store, ask a few people. You can even use your summer rod and fish in a hole that somebody else cut prior, but eventually you'll want to get some gear. But it's something that's easy to try. Bridget, do you have a last-minute comment? We have to get running. Uh, no, just everyone have a have a great day and, you know, keep sharing your lessons learned with each other and, you know, support your outdoor community and our outdoor first responders. All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Bridget O'Rourke from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to switch things up. We're going to talk uh, to the folks at the Trigger Time Gun Club, but not just about guns, about another topic. All that coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. When love has got you down. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And that little ditty that we came into this is off the... uh, Last year's EP released by Wickstrom and Dobrith is called Count On Me. If you want to hear more of that, just just Google Wickstrom and Dobrith. Go to your favorite streaming service or go online. You'll find it there, and we appreciate you listening. Let's go to the phones now. And joining us from the Trigger Time Gun Club is Nate Freeman. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry, and uh, officially Happy New Year to you, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, we played your favorite song from Wickstrom and Dobrith as we came in, so there. Right? Yeah, yeah. I heard that. When you ne- did you play I'm that sure you on a Taylor, possibly? I did. <laughs> How'd I guess? How'd I guess? Hey, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about some things. You guys do a lot of things at Trigger Time. You know, I shoot there, mm-hmm. well, not as frequently as I should because I'm not as good as I should be, and I should be shooting more, but I've been so busy. I don't know why. But It's a vicious cycle, my- huh? <laughs> yeah, it's I, I, it's where I do my practicing. You have the 
memberships yep. for the indoor ranges. You have pistol ranges to 25 yards, rifle ranges indoors to 100 yards. You have an incredible mm-hmm. retail selection of firearms and accessories and a great staff with training. You do um, off-site long-range shooting up to a mile. I mean, you just do so many things at trigger time. Uh, but one of the things I don't know if people understand is you're also an outlet for specialty knives, some of the best in the business, if I'm not mistaken. We sure are. So it, it was a really interesting transition uh, into selling some knives Uh that started quite a few years ago for us, actually. We dabbled here and there. Most of us enjoyed carrying a multi-tool or a pocket knife or in one you know, facet or another throughout our lives. And it was a great lead-in because a lot of us that enjoy the outdoors, enjoy sports of various kinds out there, we like our cool tools as well. And you know what? When you start looking at the, the highly engineered mechanical goodies that we enjoy, knives are just a shoe-in. They just fit that perfectly. And so... As enthusiasts, we started carrying them just for our own enjoyment, and we realized there's actually a, a huge need for that out there, and we love teaching people about it and helping them pick their next uh, cutlery. So what are some of the brands you carry? You tell us about well, them. Sure. So we have several um, of our favorite top brands uh, over the last couple of years. We sell a brand called Microtech. Um, Microtech is probably our number one brand in the store right now of anything we sell, even. It's pretty phenomenal. They're very well known for making high-quality out-the-front switchblades, meaning they, they click in and out. They're very fidgety. They're extremely mechanical and cool. They're all made in the USA and carry a lifetime warranty. Uh, we sell just tons of those, and they have so many different SKUs. Uh, last I checked, possibly over 2,200 SKUs, so a huge amount of colors and uh, blade styles and combinations and such. So those sell wonderfully. We have another brand called Tour that we really are jazzed about. They're out of Southern California in the San Diego area. Um, neat company that sells very, very high-quality fixed blades. So those are geared definitely towards our outdoor enthusiasts, but also they gear a lot of their stuff towards the law enforcement communities and that style of, uh, of knife and tool as well. Uh, that company is cool because they're started by some veterans that uh, realized they had a need when they were serving in our military. Uh, they are issued highly specialized gear, but their knives weren't cutting it, literally, uh, pun intended. So the guy started modifying his own issued knives and it led to him starting his own company. So I love that because to me, it's just an example of the American dream being alive and well, and uh, they're doing awesome stuff. Uh, third brand that I wanted to just specifically mention is called Jake Hoback. It's one of our favorite new brands we got last year. They're uh, based out of the Boise area and he is known for making overbuilt, really high quality last year, lifetime folding knives and fixed knives as well. So, Well, you know, I, Buying these great knives, and I run into this, and I'm sure everybody else is. You got these are tremendous brands. These are specialty brands that aren't just available anywhere, and they're Correct. high quality. And when you buy them, they come extremely sharp. They're like razor blades. The companies tend to put a great edge on them. Most people, and I'm going to put myself in this category, I think I'm halfway decent at sharpening knives but never uh-huh. get that knife back to that same level of sharpness. What can I do? So you're talking to one of the resident knife sharpening enthusiasts uh, for our, our front range. That would be me. That's uh, actually been a hobby of mine for, well, if I'm honest, going on 20 years now. I've been into sharpening various things. I started sharpening axes and chainsaws many years ago on the job, and that just led into learning how to sharpen all sorts of other stuff. And going along with our knife enthusiasms and sales here at our shop, we carry uh, one of the world's best precision knife sharpeners. It's actually a company called TS Prof. It's very fascinating. 
they actually originate from Russia. Um, it's the brand that got me into the rabbit hole of high-end precision knife sharpening. It's very amazing. So they have uh, they have toolkits ranging from several hundred dollars up to many, many more hundreds of dollars. But what's so cool about them is it's a, one of the easiest systems I've seen for an enthusiast or a new knife sharpening enthusiast alike to hop on there and touch up their kitchen knives or their pocket knife or their fishing knife or their fixed blade for hunting big game or whatever it may be. They're very, very cool tools. And and those tools, you, you, you can see them and you'll kind of demo them or tell people about them right at the store? We sure will. Yeah, we have a couple display units on the counter, but we also bought uh, for our store a demo unit. So I can actually uh, give people a really uh, a real hands-on tutorial and explain the, the whole concept and idea of, of being able to basically resharpen your knife to what it was, but in a lot of cases, even better than the one it was if you take the time. So I can bring all my kitchen knives in and you'll demo sharpen them for me, right? Well, it depends <laughs> on uh, my schedule. I'll get back to you on that calendar. It's kind of full. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in all, honesty, you. In, in, in all honesty, that's one of my, I, I do a lot of cooking and not having sharp cooking knives to me is one of the things I hate the most. And, you know, I have several chef and Satuku blade knives that I use just over and over again all the time. And keeping a sharp edge on those makes such a difference. But you know what? One of the biggest banes, and people don't understand, you and I talked about this once, and that's the fact that people like uh, my steak knives are not serrated. I like a, a sharp steak knife. I have a set, and I'm continually having to upgrade the edge or fix the edge on those because you cut yep. through you cut through a steak, and then you hit the plate, which a lot of times is china, ceramic, whatever it is. It's harder than a knife blade. In fact, you can use the bottom side of a coffee cup or a piece, a plate that has the rough ceramic to do an emergency sharpening on a knife. They're that hard. So what it does, it right. actually, the first time you cut through, it dulls, it, it dulls the blade. And so I'm continually trying find finding ways to put a better edge on those. So would this sharpening system help me keep those up to par? This would absolutely do that, Terry. And you bring up an interesting point, too. The truth is most of us cut against surfaces on our plates that are going to damage the blades. But also, most people don't realize uh, when you get down, the again, the, the knife uh, enthusiasm rabbit hole like I am, um, most cutting boards that people use are horrible for the edge of your knives, including your kitchen knives. So um, the natural into that is your even your kitchen knives get dull very quickly just because of the material of your cutting board. Uh, so... Being able to maintain them and keep them a ship shape on your own is really cool. The other nice thing is when you get into these nicer precision sharpeners, you're removing a lot less material every time you touch it up. So a lot of the cheaper sharpeners out there um, are designed to just grind away at the blade, and they take a ton of material off, and you're going to lessen the life of your nice knife that you have significantly. So with the precision sharpeners, you do one free profile, and then when you go back and touch it up, it just takes a few seconds, maybe a minute or two, and you're really not removing material. You're just rehoning it. That's great because it makes your knives, because I invest a lot in kitchen knives and makes them last. Got about a minute Me left. Too. And the right. one thing I want to hit on, these knives are great, but you guys are known for your long-range shooting. You're really dipping your toes back into that again this year, aren't you? We sure are. We're looking forward to a new year and eventually warm weather in Colorado. It will happen someday. I'm going to hold on to that belief. And when that does, hopefully come March or April, we will have our uh, outdoor property available again, and we're going to be doing our long-range precision rifle shooting courses. So we will have all those dates 
and particular classes posted on our trigger time training tab on our website and people can check that out or obviously call the store or stop by any time and we'd love to talk shop and help people get going on that. And I can tell you folks, the easiest way to find them is go to triggertime.com. You know, they're right off of Highway 119 and I-25. They're just a couple blocks off of that. But you kind of go down to a stoplight, you take a left, go a couple blocks and take a left and you're right there. So if you go to triggertimegunclub.com, there's a little map and it tells you about the place. Nate, looking forward to seeing you and uh, looking at those, those knife sharpening techniques. Anytime, Terry. I look forward to it, too, my friend. Thanks for having me on the show again. It means a lot. All right. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. That's, uh, that's, that's Nate Freeman from Trigger Time. Great people. We just uh, really, they've been with us for, I think, going on like 13 years. They've been a sponsor of the show. Great partners to us. We really love the guys there. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Mr. Nate Zielinski is going to join us. And I believe we're going to talk some ice fishing right here on Cherry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.